sex is fun. You know, it's great when you have that connection and, and the love that goes along with it, but just raw animal sex is fucking hot. And who wouldn't want to do that all day, every day? My sex life has always been like trial and error. You know, like you, you try something, do you like it, yes or no? And uh, then you move on from there. For me, bad sex is when you allowed something to happen when you should have said no. First you have the sex, and then you have the sex you want. Tell me, how old were you? So what was the first age you were when you had sex? And then how old were you when you actually got to have the opportunity to explore what that meant, explore sort of your desire, explore that with others 20 years later yeah right and that's, I think that's probably common for a lot of us so yeah. it's not like it happens like you get to have sex and then we get to learn no so, so first you have the sex and then you have the sex you want that's right yeah. that's true I think that's very true very, <laughs> can I use that then has had to learn how to do things differently to play hi welcome back I'm Philip Banks and I'm your host for the audio sex party I'm so glad you've joined us for this final episode of season one By now, we all know how much gay guys love talking about sex. No surprises. It's a rich subject, and when we get talking about our sex lives, it can go in all sorts of directions. Together with some friends, I hosted three audio sex parties where a few dozen men got together to share intimate details about the sex they have and the sex they want. On this season of the podcast, we've been hearing conversations from those parties, as well as reflections from those same guys and from other guys in the community. We've heard them talk about everything from cruising to consent, kink to intimacy, HIV to PNP. On this final episode of the podcast, we're wrapping things up by listening to guys reflect on the theme of the season, the sex you want. We'll hear them talk about how they figured out the sex they want, how they get the sex they want, and how they strive to make their sex lives better. So come on in. Join the party. Has had to learn how to do things differently to play. I think gay men have to kind of learn as 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 we go because and I'll speak um, about personal experience here this is Pranay Anand we heard him talk about racial fetishization on episode 5 when I was trying to figure out my sexuality at, at the age of 13 or 14 I was still back in Delhi India uh, there weren't other gay people that I knew I'm, I'm pretty sure there were gay people in my high school but I wasn't and no one was out no one was having conversations about it the sex education was limited to reproduction, obviously um, only talking about straight sex, uh, only talking about reproduction. So there weren't any, like if even if I felt that I have this um, thing that I want to share with my friends, I didn't, see, I didn't see that happening because the opportunity was never there. There was no role model, there was no conversations, there was in fact silence around that. I think that, like, um, knowing knowing what turns you on is, like, there's two ways that I imagine that happening, and it's through, like, playing with yourself and, like, exploring your own body sexually or, like, being with someone who knows how to explore your body sexually. At one of the audio sex parties, there were some really rich conversations about how gay guys figure out the sex they want. We're hearing some of those conversations now. 
for me, the best sex I've had is like with those guys who understand how to like look around your body. And it's like sex for me is a language and it's like a language through reaction. And it's like just learn, knowing what the other person likes and what you like through the way that you react through their touch and through the exploration of each other's bodies. And I think that, that gets problematized and just like fucked up when people feel the need because of things like porn or things like insecurities when those things enter the language of sex the sex isn't as good anymore when we start to like pretend that we like something when we don't actually like it um, or moan because we think we should moan and not because we're actually moaning in pleasure then the language of sex isn't there anymore because you're not saying what your body is saying with the way that you're expressing it so that's, that's like the best sex I've had is when I'm like honest in how I feel and not thinking about the other person will be offended. There's a difference between good sex and heightened sex. Yeah, and then and heightened heightened sex for me is way more pleasurable. I think a very long time ago I decided not to have sex that did not make me feel good. Um, and I still stick to that particular statement. I will not have sex just just for the sake of having sex. It has to make me feel good, and in turn, I have to aim to make the other person feel good as well. And there, I mean, there are things that I I know I do not do well. I don't blow very well. I know that. It's just one of those things, right? Um, I know what I do well, and I'm not going to go into all that right now tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think there's an importance about knowing your body and knowing what you respond to. And then being also open and an invitation. Not everything happened in one, in one go, right? This is Francisco Ibanez Carrasco. He's a regular on the podcast. You've heard him a lot. We last heard him talk about PNP on episode 7. He also appeared on episode 1, on episode 2, and on episode 6. But I, I think I... I uh, because I was so wild and independent, I became, I started living on my own when I was 17. I had a lot of room and I made a lot of mistakes and I did a lot of wrong things for sure. I wish I had not done any of those. And HIV is not one of those, uh, trust me. But I, I, I just, I, you know, I don't need it. I didn't need to see or do some things. But at the same time, it gave me a lot of room uh, to decide what was interesting what was good for me or not and the kinds of people that I want to associate with and and I love that that's how I learned uh, about fisting and I learned about sounding and I learned about flogging and all those you know words and now we made so technical and um, everybody seemed to know not practice but know about them yeah so it, over time it takes a long time only when you become 50 you you realize that it, the world is yours and you can do a lot of stuff eventually you i ended up meeting other people uh, i moved to san francisco that's where i found a network of friends and it it's only like the the i would say the majority of the shaping of uh, shaping up of my my personality and and my understanding of my sexuality happened once I was with other queer people. And that helped me learn a lot about having these conversations, learning about other people's experiences and, and, and putting their experiences in, in perspective and um, learning about the different kind of sex people have, for example. And that made me think about what, my, what I like and what options do I want to explore. 
So I think that that plays a big part in people's um, shaping of people's uh, personality and sexuality when it comes to gay, bi, queer men. So when I say we kind of have to go uh, learn as we go, it's there's no reserv- uh, there's no reservoir of information that we're going with as young gay men growing up. And it might have changed now. It might have changed a little bit. It might have changed a bit more. But for, for a lot of people my age, like third, early 30s, late 30s and, and uh, older, I don't think we had that access to that reservoir of information that we could start with. So we had to really form these connections and learn and and become who we are as as we had those experiences. So that was the only time I ever actually like hooked up with anyone from there. I feel like I did a lot of research before I started my like sexual experience. I, like, I feel You're like, like a I'm, boy scout. You're like the boy scout of sex. I, I come like, prepared all the time. Like whenever I travel and make an itinerary, like <laughs> of everything, I have to like make a list before I leave the house. Before like of the things I packed and whatnot. It's like I'm I'm the type of person who prepares for everything. I'm very like. Yeah, I'm very. Virgo. No, I'm not a Virgo. But I'm a Virgo, and I'm barely ever prepared. <laughs> this is Brian Quinones. They were a guest at one of the auto sex parties. We heard them talk about intimacy on episode four, and about racial fetishization on episode five. I think, in terms of researching what sex was to me and preparing what sex looked like to me in the internet, I don't think I did a lot of research on that. I think I did some research, but I don't think it influenced much on how I'm having sex with people. I'm 23 years old. Technology definitely like um, helped me become more informed, but I think what really like allowed me or helped me define what good sex was to me was based on like my interactions with people I guess like so to answer like the question I think is like all the preparation and all that um, kind of like planning and stuff prior to like having sex with people I think I learned that more on uh, kind of like a an, an ongoing basis like a trial and error kind of thing rather than like me preparing for uh, for it based on what the internet said I've Learn how to like negotiate having sex with other people. It's a lot of like, hey, I'm saying that like, hey, I bought them, like, I don't want to like top and kind of like establishing that. Um, the use of condoms, like, are we, are we like rowing it out or are we like putting a rubber on it? Like, those kinds of things. Um, where to come? Um, am I gonna come? Are you gonna come? Kind of like the kink side too. Like, are you into like fisting? Are you into like, um, different things? Are you into like pain? Are you into like, uh, like if you stumble upon a... me and my man having sex and you're into watching? That's kind of like what I'm hoping for. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm hoping you're pretty hot and I want to be watched by you. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. all sorts well, of negative attention. Yeah. You know. As we always say, no expectations. We'll see what comes along and see how we both feel about it, right? Yeah. For example, if I were to learn flogging, I would go to a flogging master, someone who's recognized as that is their primary um, skill within the community under safe and consensual aspects, as well as body harming, 
not, not you know safe body harming as it would be considered. So you meet up with these people. I, I really find that piss is moving very much into the mainstream, um, and I mean, and as it should. It's a you know piss is a super easy kink to have. It's um, you can do it in the shower. Uh, you don't really have to prepare because you were probably going to pee like at some point in the next hour anyway. Uh, and as soon as you're done with it, you just turn the water on in the shower and it washes right off like it never happened. Uh, piss is also way. Um, I actually told somebody two weeks ago, I think, um, where I said getting diagnosed with HIV was probably the best thing that ever happened in my life. Because because of this process of, of being HIV positive, I had to go through a lot in terms of learning to stand up for myself, learning to advocate for myself, um, learning to deal with stigma and not letting other people's treatment of me determine my worth. And, and, and there's, there's that gray area where I used to fuck a lot, yeah? And I didn't need to know your name. I didn't really need to know your facial features if I need to identify you in a lineup. I would just get it done because that was it, yeah? But today, smiling during sex. Love that shit. Yeah, Love <laughs> that shit. But it takes cultivation. Yeah. You know, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I really it, enjoyed it. And then yeah. from that one it always smells like pot. That's not it was like from then on. Those are some guys who appeared throughout the season, including Peter, Sir Christian Andrews, Billy Axelrod, and Justin Anantawan. So how do we support young queers uh, of all kinds uh, and and pan-fluid sexualities to learn more? I think people are learning it from where they can. If they don't have those kind of parents and those kinds of peers and schoolmates, they're learning it on YouTube, which is a problem, right? That They're thinking that you walk into somebody's place uh, and someone who's fully um, exfoliated with no hair and very clean and douche to the max because I haven't eaten the last two days and um, and they've taken some sort of uh, pill to be like horny and off you go, right? I think that's where uh, people are learning. We need to disrupt that. We need to provide more places. So we're, and I don't know exactly what I'm referring to because we've decimated all the bathhouses in, in uh, North America at least but provide more spaces where uh, kids can be sexual across generations. Yes, I'm proposing something horrible. I, I'm sure there's a Michael Jackson specter hanging over me. But uh, I, I'm not saying predatory. I'm saying places where kids feel, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna try a daddy, not feel all weird and judged and shamed about it. But that's I'm talking about a huge cultural change. It's not going to happen overnight. I think we'll get there. Um, but still we're being very repressive with young, uh, and I mean over the age of 16 and 18, with young folks and not providing them with places where they can try out things, right? Uh, and certainly we're not, we're not uh, promoting, uh, you know, intergenerational uh, sex of any kind. It's, it's, it's still uh, weird, and I think it's fairly judged that you are in an intergenerational um, relationship of any kind. There, there are a couple of venues in which I find the sex I want. I think a large, a large amount of the sex that I get and the sex that I want does come from online spaces. This is David DeAndre. He was a guest at a couple of the Audio 6 parties. He likes to talk about sex. We heard David talk about Grindr on episode one. 
about intimacy on episode four, and about racial fetishization on episode five. Um, originally, that came from the the sort of like grinder and scruff, um, just because I wasn't introduced to going to like cruising spaces or like I really didn't have that like intergenerational piece of like someone showing me the ropes of like here or here are the gay bars that we go to here's here are the spaces for cruising it was a lot of like figuring things out on your own I think my like need or like not my need I think my interest in having you know those intergenerational conversations comes from a piece of like recognizing our history right like I think a lot of our history isn't always documented and it's not documented well sometimes, right? So a lot of that his that's that history comes from like storytelling. And I think we have so much to learn from from our elders, right? Like the whether or not it's um whether or not they were like, you know, activists on the front lines, like through like ACT UP and like all of those movements, there's still so many pieces like you know, dealing with, like, microaggressions in the workplace, dealing, handling, like, um, same-sex relationships in their, in their town. Like, I just think that there's so many pieces that are applicable to our lives today that we can get advice from that normally I'm not getting advice from, like, my family on, on things like that. Like, I don't know how, like, I can't have those conversations about, um, being, like, if I was the only gay in the workplace, like, how do I navigate that? Like, those are conversations that a lot of our elders have experienced, right? And I think that there's a need to be able to pass that information down because it's still very valuable. And today, like, despite all the work that's been done, there's always work that needs to be done. And they have so much knowledge that they can be passing on to us. I feel sometimes that we are lost as fuck because we have no reference to what we can feel some guidance. This is Gerardo Betancourt. We heard him talk about consent on episode 3, intimacy on episode 4, and racial fetishization on episode 5. Uh, for me, it's very important in my life, and I will suggest this for people, uh, people who listen to this. Find mentors in your life, people who you admire, people who are a little bit older than you, and who have gone through the stages of what is happening to you. And listen to them. There is so much wisdom we have in our communities. But, of course, the 30 years old, they don't want to talk to the 40 years old. And the 40, they don't want to talk to the 60 years old. And then the 20s, they're like, like, I don't know what they are thinking. So we do this. And we need to stop doing that. Because it not only hurts individuals, but also makes every generation to have to learn everything from zero. So we never advance. We never move on. We never try like to get all this knowledge and practices and, and community things that we have achieved for so many years to try to be. And then start from zero every time. And it really breaks my heart because I know people who are very young and who are just coming out of the closet. And I know what this different stages, situations they are going to face. And, and I know that I could at least tell them this is what happened to me. Know that you have to follow this pattern. There is differences now. Again, prep wasn't there. Uh, social media wasn't there. I don't know if now it's easier or more difficult than before. It, it's hard to tell. I belong to I belong to a generation that I I I was very young when 
there was no social media and stuff. So people would just go to bad houses or to uh, the Black Eagle, to the dark room. Or like if you were in the need for connected with someone sexually, you will find where. These days, everything is just uh, on your cell phone and your iPhone. So you don't need sometimes to leave home or even to talk to anyone. So there are different challenges. And I, I really think we need to create forums or opportunities for people to talk among themselves. I think it's a waste that we're not doing. We're not doing this more often. So that's a huge piece of, of what I or why I would like it, what I would hope to gain from it personally. Like I'm always interested in like relationship X or advice from like the elders. Cause like, I know some of them have been together with their partner for like 25 years. Like I can't even spend 25 days with a partner sometimes. So like being able to get some advice on that and figuring out what they've, what they've done and how they've been able to do that. That's, that's really what I would try and get from them. And I'm sure that they would have questions about the app. So like, I'm willing to trade my knowledge, you know, So well, that's it for this season of the Audio Sex Party. We heard the voices of dozens of gay, bi, queer, trans, and cisgender men over the past 10 episodes, and we want to thank them all for coming to the party and sharing their stories. We also want to thank you for joining us. We hope you found it very stimulating, or that you might even continue these conversations at your own parties. But before you go, we have a little after-party planned. I'm joined by two other special guests. We didn't hear their voices on any of the podcasts, but they helped put this all together. Hi, Isaac. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell uh, the listeners what what role you played in the podcast? Hi, I'm Isaac Werman, and uh, I'm a journalist based in Winnipeg. And on this podcast, I was the writer and producer. Thanks, Isaac. Hi, Teresa. Over to you. Hi, Philip. So my name is Teresa Goff, and I worked with Philip and Isaac, and I worked as the creative producer and helped Philip conceptualize the first season and worked closely with Isaac on each of the episodes. So this is my first time doing a podcast. I couldn't have done it without you, really. Um, The subject matter isn't necessarily what you guys deal with in your more sort of uh, professional, uh, journalistic sort of uh, work. So how, how was it for you, you know, dealing with the subject matter? You know, Teresa, you're not a gay guy, uh, but Isaac, you are. And uh, I don't know if you get to deal with this so much in your work. Yeah, well, so this was actually my first time putting together a podcast, too. But uh, yeah, you're right. Like in, in my normal journalistic practice, I guess, I, I make radio documentaries and I write for magazines and that kind of stuff. And um, I am always I always have been really interested in sort of writing about and telling stories about the community that I'm a part of so the the queer community um, but that doesn't always mean talking a lot about or writing a lot about sex I had never really critically thought about uh, a lot of these themes before and sort of these kinds of stories what about you Teresa how is this for you 
So this was very interesting for me because right now I'm actually not working in the field, but I'm teaching at a community college. And uh, the subject matter is subject matter I would never touch uh, with my students, nor would they be able to write about for um, our media platform here at the college. So it allowed me to play a role of uh, listening in on something that I was allowed to ask questions about and push. I felt comfortable sort of pushing Isaac and also pushing you, Philip, a little bit to find out um, more about things that I didn't understand. There were instances where I was very aware I was not the audience. I remember at some point I said to Isaac that he should have the... uh, grinder notification sound put into one of the podcasts and when I was listening back to give him some notes after he had put that piece together I asked him why a noise was in there and we both had a good laugh because uh, he said well you told me to put it in there that's the grinder notification Uh, so I I really enjoyed sort of watching it in terms of the story arc but learning things that I just would never have had an opportunity to ask or to talk about, even with my gay friends or my bi friends. Yeah, there was a lot that came up in the various audio sex parties. We could do a podcast that would be like a year long, just mining all of that content. But we had to choose 10 themes. So how was that for you guys to have to like dig in and then choose these themes and think what's going to be interesting to listeners and what's going to sort of capture authentically really what guys talked about at the audio sex parties? How do we tell their story through this? Yeah, that, that was, I think, one of the major challenges that I found. Because um, obviously there's like an infinite experiences, uh, different experiences of, of gay, bi, queer men. And so you can't capture all of them in a 10-episode season of a podcast. Um, and, and so... When I came into this podcast, into this project, um, you gave me, you know, those hours and hours of recordings from the audio sex parties. And I was sort of tasked with going through all of them and picking out the themes. Um, and, and yeah, like we could have easily done 10 episodes just on cruising. We could have done 10 episodes just on kink. We could have, or like we should do a whole series or, or someone should do a whole series uh, on the experiences of, of racialized queer men. So there's you know, so much content, obviously, that that uh, could have come out of, of those audio sex parties. Um, but I think what was really interesting was I, I, I appreciated that I was able to kind of think about like what I would um, want to hear from a podcast like this and what my peers would want to hear from a podcast um, like this. And so I think that's sort of kind of what what guided me in choosing the themes. I, I think the most important thing with that is is the listening you did, Isaac. Because you spent a lot of time combing through hours and hours and hours of type. So much time. And I think that the key to any good story is listening and hearing what surfaces again and again. And I think what was so interesting about this podcast is, Philip, you had this concept of creating an audio sex party where people were allowed to talk, but the recording allowed us to listen to what the people who came to the party went back to again and again. And those themes surfaced. They surfaced themselves, and Isaac had to excavate the way that they surfaced. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really interesting to to notice, you know, because there were three separate audio sex parties that you hosted, and there were you know themes that came up again and again in all three of those parties. Um, and yeah, as I said before, you know, those are the same themes that come up uh, at the parties that I'm at with my friends. And so it's like I think what's really cool about this project is that it, it does sort of tap into these conversations that are that are really right at the surface i think for a lot of a lot of guys and that guys want to talk about and want to want to hear about yeah i was really affected by how much uh, i heard from guys that this was like a really valuable but also like seemingly rare opportunity like you know we talk about sex but but we don't get to talk about sex necessarily with strangers where where sort of you, you, you kind of show a different side of that. You don't, you're not telling the same story all the time. Now you kind of have this opportunity to, to, to sort of like engage with somebody who may be like a couple generations younger than you, might be from a different part of the world. And so you're really like, you know, being open and intimate, but also I think revealing other sides of your sex life, other sides of the way that you see yourself as a sexual being. And I found that really remarkable. I think that that was able to surface because of the way it was set up. So it was an invitation to get below the surface level conversations that are had. And as many of the participants described, they showed up at the party not knowing what to expect, but trusting that their voices mattered and that they could ask each other questions. And some people really, as often happens at a party, gravitated to one towards one another. And those conversations I found when I was listening back were so engaging. And I just wanted to listen and listen and listen. Uh, particularly here I'm thinking of um, Peter and David. They had a really riveting conversation um, about the difference between like cruising and, you know, for Peter and then for David talking about the use of Grinder and what that was like when he went back home versus what it was like when he was in Canada. So, yeah, I just I love the authenticity of those conversations. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to, to address that too. I think, you know, as three sort of cis white settlers, you know, uh, I learned a lot through the process of, of what it means to, uh, to, to center the stories in whiteness and, and then what it means to shift that gaze and shift that lens and, and shift who you think the listener is and who the listener might be. And then the kinds of stories that can be told depending on who or want to be told depending on who the listener was. And I think that that's really like excited me about the possibility of working with, you know, some of the folks that were on this podcast and others in the community that um, maybe weren't in the podcast uh, to some degree because, you know, they may not have trusted uh, how we'd represent their voices. Uh, you know, they want to have uh, more control over the narrative and also, uh, you know, to sort of speak knowing who they're speaking to. But but the podcast medium, I think, has really excited a lot of people uh, around the opportunity to talk about sex uh, and to have others be part of that conversation as listeners. And uh, I'm really excited at the possibility of what can come next. But I, I, I'm really grateful for how people shared, um, you know, their experience and insights that have really helped me to learn. And I think uh, to, to be able to, to sort of think about this in, in some different ways um, the next time or as we go forward into season two. I hope people enjoy it. I hope it, it sparks conversation. Mm-hmm. Me too. So should we wrap? What do you think? 
that season one? That's season one. We're waiting for an ending. Well, I guess the ending is, um, you know, uh, the possibilities for season two. Where do we take it? Where does it go? 